And that stinks, doesn't it? I have another friend named Eric and Leanna. They have three children. Their youngest child, Lincoln, um, Link was diagnosed with leukemia a couple of months ago. He's currently going through chemo, and he's in the last, and in, 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 in this week alone, this one week alone, he's had three trips to the emergency room. I have a friend who's a pastor. You might know him if, 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 if you've been around a little bit. His name is uh, Nate Nash. Nate and his wife, uh, Emily, have two young kids. Emily's been fighting brain cancer for nine years. And in the last week and maybe week and a half, I read this on their Facebook wall. Emily had an appointment with her neurosurgeon this afternoon. It wasn't exactly the most encouraging appointment. Her tumor has continued to grow on the outside and on the inside of her skull. That's why she's been experiencing these neurological issues. She'll be getting on a steroid to help with added pressure. The plan moving forward doesn't give us too many treatment options, but there are some options. A couple days later, they put a post on there just saying that, that she started an, or, an oral treatment for that, and, and they'll see how it goes. That was like yesterday. All three of these situations are unfortunate. All three of these situations make life way more challenging. All three of these situations were never part of the plan, right? I mean, like, when do we plan for stuff like that to happen in our lives? We don't see it. We don't expect it. But I'm going to tell you one thing. We experience it. And when the hardships like these happen, we often want to figure out why they are happening. And not only do we want to figure out why they're happening, this is the truth, we want to blame someone. Don't we? If something goes wrong in life, it has to be somebody's fault. We want an answer. I remember lying in bed as a kid. I remember the day my parents told me that they're going to be getting divorced, and I, I laid in bed that night. Uh, up to this point, I didn't know who Jesus was, but I, I believed in some God. I don't know who it was. And I remember laying in bed. I remember laying in my bed. I remember the light being off. I remember the dip of the bed in the middle. I, I, mean, I, I remember laying there, and I remember asking the question, why, God, why? Right? Today, we're going to be looking at Job chapter 38. It's the first part of a response that God gives to Job as Job is asking the question, why? And it's not wrong to ask the question, why? It's not wrong to question, like, like when you're saying, God, give me something, teach me something. Why, why is this going to happen, okay? And, 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 but see, um, yeah, we're going to look at Job 38. And because I want you to re- realize something about this too. This is the first part of God's response. He gives like a two-chapter response, and, and, and this, I, I'm going to give you the first like 18 verses, okay? Um, and this, and I'm going to be honest with you, doesn't answer it. Doesn't answer Job's question. But it should if you listen, if you listen to what the verses say, that should bring you comfort because you're knowing that you have a God who's in control. So in no way, in, hear me, in no way, Will it answer the question Job's asking? Which makes you answer the question Job's asking. So it makes you wonder if Job's asking the wrong question. And what I'm going to be preaching on as we go today is we're going to be listening to the three, um, uh, I believe this, we all have at least three dumb friends in our lives, okay? <laughs> we all have three of them at a minimum, okay? 
And for Job, all three of his dumb friends visit him on the same day, okay? And they all want to speak into his life. And I want you to hear what they're saying, and then I want you to listen to what God is saying, okay? So here we go. Let's pray, and then we're going to uh, read the text. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you that uh, your word speaks to us. It speaks to our hearts, our minds, our souls. And Lord, may these verses remind us of how great and how grand you are. They should bring comfort to us knowing that someone so mighty is looking out for us, who is someone so mighty who is there for us. Speak to us today, Lord. May our hearts be softened. May our ears be wide open. In your name we pray, amen. All right, Psalm chapter 38. So this is towards the end of the book of Psalms. Job has been dialoguing with his friends. Job speaks, friends speak, Job speaks, friends speak, Job spe- speaks, friends speak, and then finally we get to the place where we're going to hear from God, and this is what God says when he starts to speak to them. Here's what he says. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. I'm going to read that one again, okay? Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. In the middle of the mess, God speaks. Let's go on. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you answer me. Right? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measure, a line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown its dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upright arm is broken. Have you journeyed Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expansions of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And it points to one who does know all this. So, let's go. So the first thing I want to do is start with this, okay? First thing I want to do is I want to look at Job because here's what we know, here's what we're going to look at with Job. It says in Job 1.1, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a, a large number of servants. 
he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. It seems to me that Job had a great life. He is a man who is considered blameless and upright, a man who you could trust to do business with, a man that you could trust for discernment if you need to help with something. He was a man who, who was going to do the right thing, or he was a man that was going to lead people to do the right thing. Not only can you trust him, but you can trust him to do the right thing. And, he, and you can trust him to shun or despise the evil practices of others. This is what it tells us about Job. He was one who feared God. And by fear, we need to understand this because it's, 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 it's not fear like he, he lived each day of his life worrying that God might smite him off the earth. No, it was a fear in that he loved and respected who God is. He knew from where all blessings flow. And we see that Job is a pretty legit guy. And it goes on to say that he had ten children, seven sons, and three daughters. And this is what it says about Job's family when you keep reading. It says this. It says that Job had a, good fa- a pretty good family and, and that his, the members of his family would take turns hosting dinners and hanging out with each other. And I got a question for you. Isn't that what we all want? I mean, seriously, let's just... I would love to be wealthy. I would love for all my kids to live near me someday. Stan, you're a pastor, a regional pastor. How many children do you have? Five. Five children. How many of them are in ministry? Four of the five. Where do they live? Ecuador. Missionary. One lives in New York City. He's a pastor. He's a pastor. Okay, two live in Minnesota. Both of them are in the ministry. Both in ministry. And uh, one lives in Boston. As her husband goes for more schooling. Yes. Your children live all over the globe. Wouldn't it be nice if they lived nearby? Yes. Sure, wouldn't you like to see your grandkids more often? Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't, I mean, this guy is one guy who we would look at and we'd say, man, he has it all. He's financially secure. He has children who live nearby. He doesn't have to use all his vacation time to go visit them. <laughs> you know, that stuff matters. They, they, they literally took turns hosting dinner, is what this says in the, in, in the scripture. And, and, and not just when we talk about, the, did, 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 um, did Job have money? Here's what I did yesterday. I, I, I wanted to know how much money Job had. Like, I, I wanted to know, okay? So I just Googled today's value of 7,000 sheep. That's what I Googled the value of 7,000 sheep. And this is what came up. Someone did this two years ago. Um, today, 700 sheep sell at $300 each. That's 2.1 million. You can go on. Basically, in today's value, it would say that, that Job's value is almost $5 million. And then the guy who did this, he did one more thing. He said, but now I need to know what the value of the land would be to hold all this. So a person from, from Wyoming answer that and said, if, the, if Job lived in Wyoming, the value of his land would be $6 million. Job was doing all right, correct? All right. He's upright. He's good. He's doing well. We see that he's a pretty legit dude with some good cash flow. And now allow me to paraphrase and jump forward in the story a little bit. Satan's having a conversation with God, and Satan basically says this to God, of course Job loves you and respects you and would never curse you, 
Look at all you blessed him with. His life is peachy. He loves you because you bless him. And God says, no, that's not who Job is. So on the same day, or it seems to be, Satan goes out at some point, and, 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 and Job loses everything. On the same day, this is what happens to Job, one of his servants come and say, hey, the, 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 your, all your children were to get together having a meal, and the walls of the house fell in and crushed all your children, and you died, and they all died. And at the same moment, or just after, another guy comes and goes, hey, man, all your sheep just died, and all your camel just died, and another servant, another, all, your, all your donkeys died, and, 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 and bad news upon bad news upon bad news is filling in, and, 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 he, and he hears that he loses it all. And then if that wasn't enough, Satan comes back later on because Job doesn't curse God. Job, so Satan comes back later on, and he covers his body with sores from his head to his toes. Now, what I want you to see is a man who's, whose body is broken, his children are dead, and he's lost all of his, of, of his, of his um, livestock or his, his wealth. But before we go on, right now I have a problem with this story because right now we think it's just a story. Right now it's hard for us to picture actually somebody losing something because we don't see them and we don't know them. So what I want you to families, I want, I, what I want you to picture is this. I want you to picture a guy who's driving a 12-passenger van with his family and then the road's slippery and, and, and they slip and they side, slide sideways and then the next vehicle behind them slides and it runs right into them and it crushes them and it kills them all except for the dad. The dad lives. The dad goes home and he goes, he gets into some depression, can't make it to work and his job lets him go because he's not going to work. He doesn't have health insurance and next thing you know he gets cancer. That's what's going on with Job. And see, if that's even still just a story for you, the best part about, not the best part, the worst part about this is, is if you were to actually think about it, you might be sitting here and you might be in a Job moment or your neighbor's in a Job moment. And if you don't know somebody in a Job moment, then you need to get more friends. Because life is constantly, constantly, affected by the sin that's in this world. That's the truth. So what Job is going through is insane, and then he has these three friends who come to him. And on their way to seeing him, the scriptures say this, that they spot him from a distance, and they could hardly recognize him. But they began to weep, and they tore their robes, and they threw dust on their head, and they started to cry. After seven days of sitting in Job's presence, but not having the words to say to him, Job speaks, and he basically does this. What he does is he, he curses the day that he was born. He's, he wishes he, the pain that he has experienced is so much in life, he wished he had never been born. And then one of his friends starts to speak up. But wait, wait before I go on, let me go, let me go back to my intro there. You remember when I said, I remember the day that my parents told me they were getting divorced. I laid in the bed. I, I, I remember the tears going down the side of my head. I, like, I remember the feeling of it. And, uh, and I was like, why, God, why? Anybody care to guess what my next question to God was? What's that? Close, he, right there. 
What did I do? What did I do? This has to be my fault. If something bad happens to me in my life, it's because I did something bad and, 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 and you're paying me back. You're, you're giving me what I deserve. This is the horrible theology. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But that's natural. Don't, don't even begin to tell me that you don't sit here and you don't think that way. That you don't think, oh man, I wonder. Or, let me put it this way. I don't want to do that because then I, God might punish me later. Or, I'll do that because then God will reward me later. Okay? So let's go on, let's go on, let's go on. So Job's three friends step into his life and they start to speak. And, and, we, and we can go to the, yes, his first friend. Okay, where am I here? Alipaz says to Job, should not your piety, your good works, should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Were, where the upright, or where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it, Job. And the breath of God, at the breath of God, they perish. At the blast of his anger, they are no more. What's Job's first friend saying to him? You're wicked. You're wrong. You've sinned. You done messed up, my friend. Then we get to the second friend, Bildad. Only good thing about Bildad is his name is easier to say than Elipaz. <laughs> but if you seek God, this is what he says to Job. This is what he says to Job. But if you were to seek God earnestly, and if you plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Job, just repent of your sin. Admit you've done wrong. And God, God can forgive you. Third friend, Zophar. Yet, if you devote your heart to him and you stretch out your hands, listen to this. This is, this is, this is so us. Because the first two parts of that are things that man does. Listen. If you devote your heart to God, if you stretch out your hand, if you put away the sin in your heart, and if you allow no evil to dwell in your tent, those are all the actions of man. We do not trust in the actions of man. We trust in the actions of Jesus that he did for us on the cross. Amen? Then, free of fault, you will lift your face again something he's done. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water that has gone by. You know, it's like a passing moment. Oh, man. So here we have it. All three of Job's friends say the same thing to him. It is because of your sin. If you were blameless, this wouldn't have happened to you. If you just confess, you could be done with this already. But you, Job, are a prideful man who refuses to confess. And that is why these friends, and that is what these friends are doing to Job, and it's horrible. First, what it does is, is this is what it does. It paints God out to be 
a person who can't wait to repay you for your sins. It's, it's like God is, is, is a Grinch who can't wait to steal your joy. Like, something's going good in your life? Well, I remember the time you did this, and now, boop! Is that who you think God is? Where in Scripture do we see a God like that? God is not a Grinch. He is a giving God, giving of his son, giving in creation when he made Adam and Eve and blessed them with everything. There is no picture of this being the picture of who God is. Second, when we have that type of theology, when we think of, of that type of God, second, for as blameless as the scriptures say in the beginning of Job that he was, for as much as he feared God, Job was still sinful. To think that only bad things ever happen to when we sin is like saying that we don't mess up that much. It's almost like saying, I'm a halfway good person. But if we were to be honest, we sin daily. We mess up daily. I s- There's no cops here today. I speed past the police station every day. <laughs> I don't remember it until I'm at the police station. I'm like, whoa, man, don't want any of that. I do worse things than that. I do worse things than that. That just makes it easy to say in front of you guys, right? I can say it in reverse. It's like, it's like I'm, so, I'm so good that when a bad thing does happen to me, it's just like a reminder that I did something wrong. You know, that's not true. If bad things only happen to bad people all the time, then each and every single one of us would be smitted. Not smitted. Smited. Smitted. That means like how Jenny looks at me each day. <laughs> <clears throat> The disciples, oh, I'm going to get to that in a second. Third, no, I'm going to do it now. The disciples looked at Jesus at one moment when he was walking with them. There was two disciples, and they're walking with Jesus. And, and, I, and, and this is, this is they, they see a guy who's, who's, who's blind, and he's sitting at the, at the gate, and, and he's born blind. And the two disciples are walking with Jesus. And, and this is how I, I interpret this, okay? They're walking with Jesus, and they look at Jesus, and they're kind of like, hey, man, he must have made a, he, he, I'm better than him. I'm, I wasn't born blind. I don't have sin. And they look at Jesus as they're walking. They look at Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, uh, who sinned, this person or his parents, that he was born blind? Because they believed that he was being punished. Okay? And Jesus says to them, neither. He was born blind so that the will of God may be done. And Jesus reaches out and touches the man's eyes and he heals him. We have this idea that bad things happen because we sin, but that's totally not who God is with us. Third, if we were able to be good, then we wouldn't have a need for a Savior. If I was a good person, Jesus would not have had to die for me. And I know that's not true. And we sit here and say, well, well, what's good? Good is who God is. God is holy. He was right. He is just. He is sinless. Who is Brandon? I don't fall into that category, my friends. Because what Jesus does for me, I do. 
But we'll get to that in a second. My friends, I want you to hear something. I want you to look at me. Look at me real good right now, okay? God has never wanted to give you what you deserve in your life. Since sin has been in this world, God has never wanted to give you what you deserve. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Your sins, you deserve death, but he never wants you to experience or to get what you deserve. Right? He's the guy that when you go to the grocery store and you have all your groceries and you put them on the counter and you get to the end and the person says $178 and you're like, man, I really only thought I spent 60. That happens to me every time I go. (laughs) And then whoop. Oh, never mind, there's no charge. You're free to go. We have a debt bill, but Jesus has paid for it. He has always paid for it. We don't get what we deserve. Job wanted an answer, but what Job got was a response from God, letting him know that all things are under control with God. I'm going to go back to that text just for a second here. Then Job speaks to him out of the storm. Or then God, then God speaks to Job out of the storm. You speak without knowledge. Brace yourself for what I'm about to share with you. The earth's foundations were laid by me. I laid its cornerstones. Its clouds go where I tell it. When you look at the passage later on, lightning bolts come to him when God calls him and God tells the lightning where to go. God creates us. He knits us together. He is our author and our perfecter. We trust in him to be our deliverer. Last, as we get ready to close here, I'm going to talk about Jesus. If we had a theology of glory, that's what we've been talking about today. If we had a theology of bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people, then let me ask you this last question. Why did Jesus wear a, thorn of, of, a crown of thorns? Wasn't Jesus good? Then why did he get a crown of, a crown of thorns? If Jesus was good, why was he scourged? If Jesus was good, why was he punched in the face? If Jesus was good, why was he mocked? If Jesus was good, why were his nails or his, his hands and his feet nailed to the cross to hold him up? Because of us. Because of us. Because of our sins. Because we, we never get what we deserve. We get God's grace. He is the one who puts all things back together. It is in Jesus that that we get to come to the table of God and that we get to have communion together. Here is the place where all of our sin is defeated. And you're like, here at the table? Yes, before Jesus died, he said, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. Take and eat and drink. Right? This is for the forgiveness of what? Sins. I pour out my blood, I pour out my body for your sins. Amen? Amen. Here at, at uh, Rock, <laughs> here at Marysville Church, we believe that if you believe in Jesus, you get to take from this table. If you come to a place where you see that Jesus is the one who, who died for your sins, has paid for your sins, he's redeemed you, then you get to take this with us. We invite you to do that, Okay? And when I say that, here's what I mean by that. That can be right now. That can be today. Okay? 
So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take one minute. You close your eyes. You speak to God in your, in your head. You don't need to do that loud, okay? And you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I need your grace. Thank you for giving that to me, okay? Let's do it. Jesus says these words, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest from your sin. He wants to lighten your yoke of sin. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are weary and broken and need a Savior to carry your sins? Amen. The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. At this time, I'm going to have the, the elders come forward and we're going to disperse the elements. Hear this. This is God's body. This is Jesus' body given and shed for you. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ given and shed for you. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you. 
his body given for you. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you. Take and eat. blood of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you. Of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for us. Take and drink. Thank you, God. As they take their seat, or as they do this, and as the praise team comes forward, I would like to say something to you. Jesus says that when you, when you take my body and when you drink my blood that's been given and poured out for you, he says your sins are forgiven. What that means is this. He, in his death, in his life, and in his death, and in his resurrection, is everything you need for forgiveness of sins. You sit here, and I stand here, and I own some sin in my head. I think, ah, he, he, he doesn't know about that one, or he didn't forgive this one, or whatever you might be thinking. And I tell you right now that Jesus Christ owns that. 
He's taken it from you, and you are forgiven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen.
We want to thank you for coming and worshiping with us. And as you leave, you get to leave freer and lighter and with less of a burden because of the work of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Two quick announcements for you. You look out the window right now, you see snow. We're still having dinner here tonight for the youth group. <laughs> there, the food started, it's cooking. We want you to come, so please come. Okay? So be here. We're, we're not canceling. 530. 530. Second thing. If you're going to women's retreat, we just ask that you maybe, or thinking about going to women's retreat, just stick around for a second and, and talk to Pam. She has some stuff for you. But uh, receive these words from Jesus who spoke these words. And this is what he says. Just as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. Go in peace, my friend.